right? How many of you all know that we serve a good God? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we shared before in the past that in the Bible when it talks about God being good, that they didn't define it the way that we do. Um, we, we, for humanity, how we look at goodness is we find something that fits the dictionary's definition of good, and we ascribe that label to it. We say, okay, man, listen, that's a, that's a good thing based upon how it makes humanity feel, based upon the dictionary's definition, like that's good. But when scripture talks about God being good, when Paul talked about good in the Bible, he looked at everything that is God and said, okay, that's good. He didn't look at what humanity does. He didn't look at the world and ascribe, okay, that, that, you know, God's good based upon our understanding of goodness. No, he looked at God first and made God the standard for everything that is good. So when we're singing that God is good, what we're proclaiming is that God, even when things that I thought were good here turned out not to be, when things didn't work out the way that I expected them to be, when I look at you and your character, who you are, God, you're still good. You're good even though humanity is not always good. You're good even though my situation doesn't feel good. You're good because you are God and God just because of who you are, you're good. And that is enough. That's our God. That's what we sing today. We're proclaiming that our God is so good. Amen. And uh, before we dive in, just a couple of quick things before we move on. Uh, we've got some things happening in the community. We want to do a better job of communicating this with uh, our brothers and sisters. So one of the things is that uh, Bridget, uh, her sister passed away uh, this past Monday. And, um, and we want to make sure that we support her. They're having services for her, kind of her memorial services uh, evening um, out at Russell Lee Park at the community center there. Talk with her for more details if you'd like to support her, because I may have given something wrong. And so make sure that you talk with the Bridget. Uh, and so if you'd like to come out and support. Uh, then also, Sean, he's not here today. He lost his mom uh, last week. Uh, the uh, wake is tonight, and the funeral tonight at 5, the funeral's tomorrow at 12, both of them at St. Stephen Church. Uh, I, we want to share those things uh, so that you can pray for them, but also one of the best things that you can do for people in that situation is just show up. And, um, and so uh, we want to do that for them, but also for you. If there's something going on uh, in life and something that's happening, uh, don't feel the need to hide that from this group. Uh, because one of the reasons we exist is to be there for one another. And so uh, don't, don't feel ashamed. Don't feel like you're a burden. Uh, because if we can't be there for you in those seasons, then there's no point in us gathering at all. Amen? Amen. So what, by whatever means, whether you post it online, uh, call somebody, let them know. Sometimes I know it's difficult to say, okay, yeah, man, we need to let the church know. But know that we're here. And, um, and you've got some church family here who would love to show up for you. Uh, love to come to the hospital with you, pray with you, sit with you, whatever it will be. So my only request is please don't rob us of the opportunity to show you how much we love you. Amen? Amen. Well, this week we um, 
go into our third installment of the series, The Perfect Ten. And, um, and it's been a blessing so far. I don't know if that you've enjoyed it as much as Matt and I have in studying and preparing for it. Uh, this class, uh, well, this series comes from a class that he and I took. And uh, we were so amazed by the teaching. We just had to come share it with you guys. And so... Um, so this week, uh, well, within this series, what we've been trying to do is to give you a different perspective uh, about the Ten Commandments. Uh, usually, the way that we were taught about the Ten Commandments were though they were the Ten Prohibitions or the Ten Conditions given to God so that you don't get in trouble. So it's the classic image of God the judge looking for a reason to condemn or convict his people. And uh, what we've studied is that that's not what the Ten Commandments are or were given to the people for anyway. They were not the Ten Prohibitions, but they were ten, um, essentially ten ways or um, ten examples or principles, rather, that God gave to his people so that they would know how to live as a free people. So it's not to restrict it is for freedom altogether. And so week one, we talked about the first commandment. We, we learned uh, what it means when God says that you shall have no other God before me. And then uh, week two, last week, Matt preached, did a great job about not having an image. And one of the classic, classic principles he pulled out there was uh, there's no reason to create an image because we are the image. We were created in the image of God, and uh, that's his intent for us. Uh, today, we deal with the commandment number three, uh, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Amen? Amen. Pray with me real quickly. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for, as we just finished singing, God, you are good. And uh, sometimes, Lord, it's just good for us to kind of rest in that and to reflect on your goodness, for God, it gives us strength in the madness and the chaos of the world in which we live in. So thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for your keeping power. Thank you, God, for strengthening us uh, day to day. And God, thank you, Lord, for gathering us here. Uh, in this place, as we've gathered, this place that we've commissioned and consecrated as your house. And I pray, God, that today every one of us will leave here different from the way that we came in as we have encountered you, encountered your spirit. And, um, Lord, that we are blessed by that interaction. So now, God, I pray more importantly, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, that it will be acceptable in your sight. For, God, you are our strength and our redeemer. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let me introduce myself so you guys know who I am. My full name is Dontorio Jamel Armstrong. That's my full name. George talks about it all the time because his heart is small like the Grinch. So we pray for him. We pray for him. We pray for him. My mom, who is here today, she says that she got my name, Don Torrio, from my dad's name. My dad's name was Donald, or he was known as Donnie. And, um, and so she was very creative in that she looked at Donald, Donnie, and she created Don Torrio. Very, very creative person she was. Uh, she exhausted all of her creative energy that she didn't have room enough in her creative genes to come up with the middle name. And so the nurses 
gave me my middle name. <laughs> she, she was so cre- creatively exhausted. She said, y'all take the rest. Y'all just, y'all. <laughs> I, I ain't got nothing more left. I done pushed out a baby. And I done pushed out all of our creative juices. I just say, y'all got it from here. <laughs> and the nurses in the hospital gave me the name Jamel. They came up, Donnie D. Jackie's her name, Jay. And so I have uh, the initials of my mom and my dad within my name. My name is Dontorio Jamel Armstrong. I appreciate it. I like my name. I love the originality when I was a kid in school. And people would always ask that question. I didn't know why. What does it mean? <laughs> And, uh, and for years, I just said, oh. and the older I got, I just started lying and coming up with things. And so, oh, what is it? Oh, it's African. Well, what does it mean in African? African, I don't know. It just, it means something. Uh, and, and the older I got, I, I just started, every time somebody asked, I would give them a different culture. What's it? Oh, man, it's Cherokee. What does it mean in Cherokee? Big heart. I, I would just come up with things, just, just pick, pick with people. And people, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Like, Whatever. Uh, my, my middle name, Jamel, however, is, is Arabic, um, and, and it actually means, the nurses did a fascinating job, but they prophesied, by the way. They saw it from the day that I was born. My middle name means handsome. <laughs> yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. They knew what they were talking about. They knew what they were talking about. <laughs> My, 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 my daughter's name is Deja Janelle Armstrong. And similar to, to my parents, I, I thought I'd give my daughter my initials. So both of us were DJA. Um, and, um, and I really didn't study what it meant. I just wanted her to have my initials. Originally, I wanted her name to be Diana. Uh, and I wanted to give her the nickname Princess, but someone else who's in this room overruled me. <laughs> And, uh, and she would not let it be so. And so, um, and so we agreed on Deja. And then the more that I began to study scripture and learn about etymology, the, the origin of names, I, um, I, I noticed something very interesting about her name. Uh, uh, Deja means already or already seen. Uh, Janelle is a feminine version of the name John, which is our oldest son's name, by the way, the name John, John literally means Yahweh is gracious. So from the day that she was born, what we proclaimed over her is that we've already seen that Yahweh is gracious. We did a good job, didn't we? By accident. <laughs> I, uh, I, I love that um, about names and stuff. The more that you study, especially in scripture, just how powerful names can be. And uh, a lot of times the parents would name their children based upon their hope for the child or the experience of the child coming into the world. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, We we find dead in the middle of just a bunch of things, uh, the name Jabez stops and tells his story. Jabez's story is really weird because Jabez says, uh, my mother bore me in pain, so she named me Pain. Jabez literally means pain. 
Sister Girl's birthing challenge was so traumatic. She said, Pain, just what's your name? Pain, his name is Pain. That's what it's going to be. That's how, how rough. Some of the mamas like, I should have named my baby Pain too. I should have. Uh, there, there, were, there were a set of twins that we meet in Genesis. And when the twins come out, the older one comes out, the younger one comes holding on to the heel of his older brother. And so the mom and dad name him heel holder or supplanter. Uh, that name is Jacob. That's what Jacob means. And God changed that name because no longer did he want him to represent someone who is trying to take the place of another. He wanted his name to be something that was more uh, about giving God the glory. So he named him Israel to God provides. Listen to what God said. No longer do you have to worry about trying to take somebody else's place because I will provide for you. So you now go from Jacob to Israel. Don't try to take somebody else's place. Trust me as your provider. And then, then there's a bunch of great names. Uh, Joshua, Joshua. I love the name Joshua because we got a lot of Joshuas in this church. One church is full of Joshuas and Matts. And um, they're all, there's no, you know, there's Matthew in the Bible. Uh, we don't really talk about him. He's evil. And um, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, but uh, Joshua, Joshua is a wonderful name. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah's salvation. We meet Joshua uh, as he takes over rule of the people after Moses dies in the book of Joshua. And it's such a great story. But I don't know if you all know this. There's actually another Joshua in Scripture. None of my seminarians are allowed to answer this question real quick, by the way. Um, does anyone else know who the other Joshua is? Let me, let, me, let me give you the, the, the Aramaic or Hebrew uh, translation of the name. It's Yeheshua. Jesus. Jesus' name is Joshua. Did you know that? Yeah, his name is Joshua. It's just the Aramaic translation of his name. And so you'll hear some people, especially people who subscribe to the Hebrew culture, they refer to him as Yehoshua uh, with the original Hebrew tradition of the language. And so um, that's just a little bit of my nerdy news for you right there. Uh, I, I love Jewish culture and how intentional they were and are about names. They, they spent time because for them, a name is more than simply a label. For our culture, usually a name is simply a label. It's something that we just give. You know, we don't necessarily, you know, put any, any hopes or anything. It's a cute name. I'm going to give my child this cute name. Or I like this name. Hebrew culture, Jewish culture says, no, I, I'm using this name to proclaim something about this child's life before this child even begins life. So when we are born, check this out, our names are given to us. You know, when my daughter was born, when our kids were born, all three of them, they were born and the labels were given. This is, this is who you are. And whether it was intentional or not, whether there was a hope behind it or not, it was something that was given to the individual with that name. But when it comes to God, there's something different about his name. God's name was not given to him. He gave his name to us. 
so that when we are talking about the name of God, we are not talking about a label where we ascribe our hopes, where we look at whom we believe God to be, and we say, okay, God, this is who you are. God, let the people know this is who I am, and this is who you will call me. Perfect example of this we find when Moses first meets uh, God, the burning bush. You remember the story. You've seen Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, all those things. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Listen, but Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. This is where God doesn't just introduce himself, but he introduces who he will be to his people. I am who I am, or sometimes it's translated, I will be who I will be. Basically, what God is communicating is that God's name, check this out, is an active verb. It's not like our name. God's name is an active verb. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. There's action. There's a story behind that name. There's something happening here more than a label. God is communicating what and who he will be to his people. God says, this will be my name forever that I am, that I will be who I will be. What God's name does is this. It doesn't just communicate what we are to call him. It communicates his entire reputation and identity are in his name. Everything that God is, is in his name. It's all in his name. His entire purpose, his entire reason to us exists in his name. That's why. Verse 15, he says, I'm the God of your ancestors, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. This is, this is my name forever. This is, this is what I've been doing. There's a journey. There is a story. There is deliverance. There is salvation. All these things, this is who I am. If you're just looking for a label, God says, I don't have a label for you to refer to. I'm not just a label. I'm not something. That's what they were experiencing in Egypt. The the Egyptian gods that they saw, basically, they said, you know what? There's the sun. The sun needs a god, Ra. And they just gave the god a responsibility, a duty. God says, you can't do that with me. I, I am who I am. Well, what are you, God? I will be what I will be. This will be my name forever. God, I don't understand. Check this out. I am the God who took a roaming nobad out of the land of the earth, out of Mesopotamia. I am the God who gave him a hope, him and his barren wife. I am the God who gave them a child when they should not have gotten a child. God, what do you mean that's who you are? Not only am I that God, I am the God who made Isaac prosperous in a land of famine. I gave him a way out of no way. What do you mean, God? I am the God who changed the identity of a guy named Jacob who was known as a trickster, who was known as a supplanter. I changed his identity and gave him purpose in his life. And God said, what I have been to them, I will be to you. I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. 
basically what God is saying to us is this. God is what God has done. That's who God is. God is what God has done. This is what he's lifting up to the people of Israel as they're gathering, newly liberated from Egyptian bondage. He's letting them know, listen, I'm the one that you've been looking for as you've been suffering under the persecution and oppression of Egyptian culture. I am, everything that I've done, I am, I, I am that. And so a couple of weeks ago when we first started the series, I may mention that in order to understand the commandments, it's good to use what we call the preamble and connected or tie it into whatever commandment that we are studying because it helps to give it a little bit more context. So because we, we look at this one a little bit weirdly. So but check this out. When you, when you look at commandment number three and you add it to the preamble to verse two, this is how it reads. It says this, um, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? You shall make, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses His name. Sounds a whole lot different, right? When you ascribe, or you attach the preamble to the to the name itself, because usually when we think about the version that we're accustomed to, when we think about the Ten Commandments, is taking the Lord's name in vain. And so, but when you add it to the preamble, it gives it just a bit of a different tone that the question or what should come to your mind is that it's got to be more than a cuss word. It's got to be bigger than that because if God is saying that I delivered you from slavery, now don't cuss. I, I think that it's got to be bigger than that, right? So the question then, though, is this. What, what does the misuse of God's name have to do with being delivered from bondage and it's, uh, it's, it's really simple, like every other commandment. What does this mean to a free commandment or to a free people? And Dr. James Bruckner, uh, our professor, gave us this, this line here that I think is pretty cool. He says this, the third commandment protects against bondage and mistrust of living in a community of curses and false oaths. The people who oppress them Use, use not, not Yahweh God, but their gods as a tool to continue to keep the people of Israel in bondage through manipulation by conjuring the names of their gods. So they would conjure the name by the name of whomever the God is. This is what you should do. This is how you ought to act. This is how you ought to respond. God desires a community, a world that we should live in where we are free from being manipulated by people who want to conjure his name in order to control behavior. Which speaks to New Testament grace, right? That the, the, the faith that we have, our belief system, is bigger than behavior modification. It's not about controlling behavior. It's, it's about a freedom that comes with that where you can trust your yes to be yes and your no to be no, where people will not use his name. God desires for us to live in a place where his name will not be used to drum up fear in order to control behavior. It will not be used to drum up uh, false ideas about xenophobia, homophobia, uh, misogyny, a lot of things that we experience in our culture today. God says, I have given my name so that you won't live in a world where people use my name to push their own agenda. God wants us to live in a world where we can trust when his name is mentioned, when his name is conjured up, that people know there's goodness that has to be there because there's no way that they will use his name if it were not for a good thing. 
Well, then usually, though, when we, we think about this, thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain, we think about uh, situations like this. There, there's a good pastor, uh, Pastor Rob Schneck, and he talks about how when he was on a flight one time, he, uh, he, he, he addressed a couple of guys who were behind him. He says, I noticed that they must have been salesmen. And, uh, and he says, I heard the most vulgar language coming out of their mouth. And he said, finally, after I heard a couple of things, I just couldn't take it anymore. And he turned around, he says, and I asked him, are you guys in the ministry? And uh, one of the guys responded, what the blank are you talking about? And he says, well, because in one sentence, I heard you say, God damn in hell, in one sentence. I don't even use that in the whole uh, sermon, so I figured y'all must be ministers. And he said, the guys just blushed. And um, he said, for the rest of the flight, they didn't say another word, at least in that language. Um, that, that's what we think about when we think about taking the Lord's name in vain or misusing his name, right? And, and let me say this. That, that's, that's true, too, that, that, that we ought to ascribe nothing but honor and glory, and that is true, that bitter and sweet water shouldn't flow from the same fountain. That those, those things are true. We, we ought to be careful with our language. I'm speaking to myself. We, we've got to be careful with how we use God's name. That's what God is talking about, but... It's not all there. It's not, it's not the whole story. Because when you consider the whole story, it would sound like that God says, all right, one of the top three things that I want you to do as a free people is to make sure that you be delivered now and that you make sure that you, you don't cuss. God, one of the top three things on your list is to make sure that in order for us to live in a free society, we watch our language. That makes God sound a little petty. When you really consider it in context, God, this is, this is where we focus. We spent 400 years in slavery and oppression, and now we come out, you know, in my mind, this isn't Bible, but in my mind, after 400 years dealing with foolishness, I might have a couple of things to say about the people at least that I've come from uh, bondage from. Matter of fact, I got a couple of things to say about some of the people that we've been oppressed from, but I won't say that from the stage today. I won't I'll monitor myself. All I'm saying is that it's got to be bigger than that. And so this is, this is what... what um, God Daniel Wells says, and I think he captures it perfectly, what God is trying to say when he's talking about misusing his name. Listen to this statement. It is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. Now, I do not mean by this that he is ethereal, that means heavenly or celestial, but rather that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so inconsequentially as not to be noticeable. He has lost his saliency for human life. God is saying, I don't want to become to you what the Egyptian gods were to them. I don't want to be weightless where it doesn't matter what your conversation about me sounds like. I want to matter to you because the comparison is the Egyptian gods were not real. And so to conjure or to use their names means nothing. So God is saying, I am real and I need to be real to you, real in your life, real in your relationships, real in your conversation. I need to be real and I desire a people who live with me as though I am a real God. It would be the equivalent of 
whomever it is, you know, because some of us, it may not be parents, but for you to be with someone that you honor and absolutely adore, and you talk about them like a dog in their face. God says, don't let that be our relationship. Ascribe honor, majesty, and glory to my name. Make me real to you. God says, I just want to be real to you. See what I've done. Remember, it's about his reputation. See what I've done? I've done it for your ancestors. I I gave them life. I gave them liberty. I gave them freedom. I helped them in their times of need. See what I've done for you? I delivered you from 400 years of oppression that when you see me and when you call on me, see that I am real. Hold me with the honor that I have worked so hard to deserve and to receive from you. Trust me as your God. So here's what it really sounds like in context. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and I've got to be more to you than what their false gods were to them. I've got to be more to you. God has got to be more. When you talk about misusing, I hear you saying the questions. You guys always ask good questions. What, what, what does it mean to misuse the Lord's name if it's bigger than just cussing? I, I got your answer. Three quick things. One of the first things is about, and this is what we see in Scripture, the three ways that it's been used. One of the first is sorcery. And sorcery was that people believed that they could conjure up God and gain access to supernatural powers so that they could win battles, um, so that they could uh, tell the future, and that they could provide healing for situations. And here, let me, let me be very transparent about something. I believe that God can do all of those things. I believe that God can help us win battles. Uh, I believe that God can provide healing, and I believe that God will, um, will also uh, give us power, uh, supernatural power, to see what the things that are to come. I believe in all those things. I I grew up charismatic. It's in my DNA. That's what I believe. I believe that God can do all those things. What God isn't saying is that he is not, is that he's not unable to do, or he's unable to do those things. What he's speaking about is that you can't use those things to manipulate people so that you can have your way with them. This is about relational. This is about manipulation. God says, I want you to live in a world where people aren't trying to control you by making promises, by conjuring my name and saying that if you just believe and if you just trust me, if you just give me $1,000, you turn around seven times, and by the time you get up, that $1,000 will be deposited. The Lord's going to heal you in the name of Jesus. He says you can't do that through sorcery, but also you can't be false prophets. He says you can't be false prophecy. Uh, God, God told me to tell you, <laughs> that, yeah, God, God said this. Jeremiah talks about this, man. He, he says that, uh, that, that you see people say uh, uh, so many things, just false prophesying. Man, the, the book of Jeremiah is a great context for when you talk about God's name and how it's used as they are intermingling with Babylonian culture. But we see it so prevalent today, right, uh, where false prophecy has been used. Uh, we, see it, um, we see it historically in situations like the Crusades. Yeah, false prophet. False prophecy made them, y'all know it was like seven crusades. You know it wasn't just one. Yeah, and, and in one of them, they actually sent children because they misinterpreted scripture, and a child shall live them. And all of the kids wound up dead and enslaved because they allowed false prophets to push their agenda upon the people because it wasn't about giving glory to God. It was about power. 
which power corrupts and power manipulates. You can't, can't do that. Uh, the transatlantic slave trade is another way where there, Matt and I are reading the book right now, where there were so many biblical, not biblical, who, supposed to be biblically astute believers, pastors, uh, uh, theologians who use scripture and falsely interpreting the Bible to control, to say that people of African descent were of a lesser class or a lower human being so they could justify the power that they were receiving through slave trade. All that, man, is called false prophecy. And here's the thing. Prophecy is not always about foretelling. It's not always about telling what's going to happen. Sometimes it's about foretelling, speaking what you say that the Lord is saying. And so what we have historically is people saying, the Lord told me to tell you, and the Lord is saying, the Lord is impressing upon us, and they use the Lord to push false prophecies to control people for their own power. The Lord says people who do that will not be forgiven. But then also, false oaths. You see this really deep within communities. False oaths is... You know, you're persuading others using God's name to make it sound like you're telling the truth. This is another one Jeremiah talks about. He says uh, that people say, as surely as the Lord lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, or you'll see people say, listen, I, you know, I, I, I swear to God. You know, that, that's something that they say. I don't know where I'm from. You know, my block where I grew up, it sounded a little different. It'd be like, man, I swear for God. I swear. I swear. I swear for F-O. I swear for God. I swear. <laughs> all in all, what God is doing, he's saying this, man. I'm trying to prevent you from living in a world where you can trust the people that you are in community with. You, you can trust them because their word means something because the word means something. And the word is his name. It means something to them where people won't use and manipulate the name of God to create systems of injustice to keep people down. Where you can trust that when somebody stands up on national television and they speak about a community of people that you know, that when they open up the book of Romans, they're not opening up the book of Romans for the xenophobic, their hate against immigrants. You know that when they open up the book of Romans, they're opening it up because they have a conviction in their heart to really believe what the Lord is saying to the people, and it's something that we can stand by, but not a world where people will open up Scripture and use it to justify the mistreatment, the abandonment, the, the, the fear that lurks in the hearts of people so that we can manipulate and control people and push our hate. God says, those people right there, they will not be forgiven for those things. Now, here's the thing. In, in, in the Bible, I, I've researched it as much over the last couple of weeks just trying to get an understanding of what it means when he says that, you know, that those people that sin will not be forgiven. I've studied it over and over again to try to figure out what, what absolutely are you saying, God, about, about this promise here that, that they will be punished for it. And as much as I tried to unpack it and, and, and translate it and all that, I couldn't find something definitive to tell you about what does it mean when God says that you will be punished and you will not be forgiven with that. The only thing that I can think about it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, you remember when mama used to say, just wait till your daddy gets home? I, I liken it to that. I, I just feel like it's just something that you just really don't want to do. Because God's not even saying, here's exactly how you're going to receive the punishment. God's just saying, look, um, I'm coming. 
And beware of that. But the other part of it is this. It's not that God said, don't use my name. It's that God said, don't misuse my name. Because he wants us to use his name because there's something very special in the name. I told you, I love Jewish culture when you study it and when you study how they, how they look at the name and just how beautiful it is. The, the, the Jews were, were so strong about this that they even refused to use his name at all. They, they just said, I just would rather not. So do me a favor, pull, pull the verses back up for me again. Pull, pull up, um, let's see if it's there. Go to the next verse. All right, I didn't do it, but leave it right here. I want to show you something. Um, in, in your Bible, you should see this. When it says, God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord. The Lord right there uh, ought to be in small caps uh, because it represents something. It represents his name. And they put it in small caps uh, because it's really the name Adonai that's there. Adonai. Adonai means Lord. They chose the name Adonai because they were fearful of misusing the name Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, they don't really, we, we, we kind of put it together ourselves historically because it's really, there were, no, there were no vowels there. So it's really just Y-H-W-H. You see it in material and stuff all over. That, that's, 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 that's the name that they have. The, the Jews were so fearful to misuse it that rather than even putting Yahweh down on papers, they put Adonai. And that's what that represents when you see the lower caps in Scripture because they were fearful to misuse this name. So they chose Adonai to make sure that they were not misusing the name. I, lo I love that, like just how, how they were about that. And so you, you see that you see that there's Scripture, man, all over where they do it. Put up, put up that Psalm 34 for me because this is, this is kind of what it means there. He says, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make his boast in the Lord. Let the humble here be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together that really reads I will bless Adonai at all times my soul shall make its boast in Adonai oh magnify Adonai with me or Yahweh but they intentionally changed it because they wanted to make sure in everything they did and said that they ascribed honor and glory and majesty to the Lord's name I, I like that I do I appreciate that but I think sometimes we sing, swing too hard to the other direction because there's also very much so power in the name of the Lord, that God wants us to use it. Here's a weird fact, man. Over 7,000 times, or close to 7,000 times in Scripture, you see God giving his name to his people. And he's given his name to his people because he wants his people to use his name. He doesn't give it to us so that we can keep it. That's the conversation between God and Moses upon the mountain. God, whom shall I say sends me? He gives Moses his name so that Moses can take his name back to Egypt and back to Pharaoh to use his name. And I wonder, man, if there's anybody in here this morning who's ever been in a situation where you've had to pull out his name because you know that you needed the power of the Lord to be there. You needed the reputation, the God that you served, that active verb to be active in that situation. I'm, I'm charismatic, so this is a big deal to me. Because sometimes we were taught, man, that when you're in situations and you just don't know what to do, one of the first things you do is you call upon the name of the Lord, and when you do, the Lord can change 
change and transform an environment, and he can, he can really flip things over by using the name of the Lord. This is what he's talking about there. He gives it to them in certain situations where they were in battle and they didn't know how they were going to make it up, and God seemed to use one of the most obscure ways to help them to win victory. And so they said, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi. He gives that to them so that they'll know Moses upon the mountain, I'm sorry, Abraham upon the mountain about to slay his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord gives him a reason to refer to him as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who provides because there was a ram in a bush so that he didn't have to sacrifice his name. Or maybe for you it's been something that you've experienced. Maybe you've gone into work. Maybe you've gone into a setting and you were unsure about how that thing was going to work out. And the only thing that you had in your repertoire at that moment was calling upon the name of the Lord. And you used his name and the Lord transformed that environment. I remember, man, when I was 19 years old, I come home from school in Arkansas. We are on, 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 a, on a highway on 65 North trying to get home, coming through Memphis. And, and we got into a wreck. Some weird way, the officer decides to give me a ticket. And I was forced to go to court. I don't know why. I was nervous. I had never been to court before. But I just saw how tense the environment was when I sat inside of that courthouse. I saw how mean the judge was. The judge did some weird stuff like the judge was a lady. And I ended up knowing her a little bit later. And I told her about this situation. She was a lady. And, and a guy didn't answer wrong. She said, go sit up under the clock until you can answer me correctly. And I was like, oh, my God, she's going to throw me in jail. I just knew things were going to happen. It was really tense up in the courtroom. People were nervous. I saw a lady crying like it was really rough. I didn't know what else to do. I had never been there. I didn't have an attorney, but I simply dropped my head and I closed my eyes and I said, in the name of Jesus, that I, I, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't even know why I got this ticket. I don't know why I'm in court, but God, I need you to have favor on me in this situation. I walked up. I ain't never seen this judge in my life. I walked up. The prosecutor looked at me and just nodded and smiled. The judge changed her weird looking mean face to a smile and said, how you doing, sir? It's so good to see you. I was like, who is she talking to? She couldn't be talking. I just seen how she talked to 25 other defendants before they walked up in there. Now, I ain't, listen, I ain't going to say that it's a coincidence. I don't believe in those, but I believe when I dropped my head and I called upon the name of the Lord, the Lord fixed that situation. You can say it wasn't a big deal all you want. I know what God did in that moment. Sometimes you've got to call on the name of the Lord and believe that he will fix a situation. I don't know if I'm the only one. Sometimes, man, listen, it translates not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. It's all in his name. The Bible tells us that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You remember, he spoke to Moses. He said, my reputation is there. Deliverer is there. So if you call upon the name of the Lord, your deliverance is in his name. And when we talk about that, people think that we're just talking about a label, that it's just a label. No, it is an active verb. When you speak his name, call upon the name, and literally what you're saying is, God, I don't have enough strength. I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. It's an active verb. You are activating the power of the Lord inside of your life if you trust him. God said, my name is my reputation. It is my title forever. That's why we hold it lightly. That's why we don't just throw it around flippantly because everything that God is, is in his name. It's in his name. Read, read the Bible now and see just how much honor that they have 
inside and about his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything that's within me shall bless his holy name. It is in his name. Everything that you're looking for, all the strength that you need, all the hope that we have exists in the active verb called Jehovah, called Yahweh, called Adonai, whatever you want to call him, call him by his name, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah. He is everything that you need. It's all in his name. And if you ascribe honor, glory, majesty to that name, then that name will do for you what it did for Abraham, what it did for Isaac, what it did for Jacob, what it did for the nation of Israel. And we hold his name the way that he intended. We will become the people that he called us to be, and we can create the world that he called us to be a part of. Amen? Come on, stand to your feet. I am the Lord your God who has delivered you out of the house of slavery. Do not have any other gods before me. God's saying, listen, you no longer have to be indebted to oppressors. Do not create any false images. Matt said, well, it makes sense. Man, false images do nothing. They say nothing. They do nothing. As a matter of fact, the image that God created, you look at it each and every day. It's you. He's enough, and you're enough for him. And also... As a free people, hold his name reverently. Trust in who he is. God's reputation is in his name. He's not your eight-pound, six-pound, sweet little baby Jesus. Don't even say a mumbling word. That's not, that's not who he is. He's the God within one word to let there be and the world came to pass. He's the God who spoke the words and all of existence rose from the dust he's the God who saves, who delivers who was, who is and who is to come and he wants to make sure that when we speak of him, we speak of him as who he is because God is what he's done and he wants you to live a life where you value that inside of your heart so before we go, I'm going to have our counselors come up so I can get Matt and Stephanie, if you guys can come on up. I want to give you an opportunity to, um, to respond. Now, your respond could be in a number of ways. Your respond could be, our response could be uh, that you've yet to call upon the name because there's deliverance and salvation in his name. Well, Pastor, what's salvation, man? Salvation is not something that you experience when you pass from this life to the next. Salvation is obtained instantly. The moment that you call upon the name of Jesus, you are saved right then. Eternal life begins now. And you can live free from sin, free from condemnation today, and God will spend the remainder of your days on this planet refining you and carving you into his image. That, that, that's part of it. Or maybe it's just prayer, man. You don't know. Just um, trying to figure it out. 
and um, I got some things on my heart. Well, these, these two are here to pray with you, if, if that be you. Uh, but then also, maybe you're here, man, and you're looking for a church family, um, and you just want to be connected to a community. Um, we offer this imperfect group of people who are passionately trying to learn how to pursue Christ together. We offer ourselves to you. Um, and uh, to be a part of a flawed society. At One Church here, we celebrate the fact that we are messy. And uh, But when we say messy, we're not talking about we create mess. No, life is messy. And, uh, and we don't mind playing in the mud together. Because if we do so together, we can lift one another out. So I want to pray. And if you fall into one of those categories, um, man, you can see one of these two. Or if you just like to throw your hand up in the air, you don't want to walk, we get it, man. Just throw your hands up in the air and someone will come to you as well. Let's pray. Do me a favor. Grab the hand of your neighbor. I, I think there's power, you know, when you touch and you'll agree. Yeah. yeah. God, I thank you so much because of your name that you have given us that we can live in a world where we can trust those whom we live in fellowship and community with to hold your name reverently, to honor and respect you, God, but also the name, Lord, that saves and delivers us. Thank you for giving that to us. But God, right now I'm praying for the entire collection of bodies that's here today, Lord, that each of us would learn how to hold it better. God, I'm praying for someone who needs to call upon your name for salvation right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray the Holy Spirit, will you give them the boldness to take that step towards you, knowing that you would do the rest of the work. God, I'm calling on you, Lord, to be strength, the great I am, for someone who needs you to be that in their life right now. That there's something heavy in life, there's something they don't know how to deal with or handle, and I pray, God, that they trust that the active verb, Yahweh, Jehovah, will come present for them right now. God, I lift that prayer up, whoever it is, and may they come to him who's already come for them. Right now, if that's you, you can now respond as the worship team leads us. Will you come? Will you make your way? There's still room. Will you come?